Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you'll check out all of the Just the News podcasts. You can go to justthenews.com and see the list of them on the homepage. Today, an interview with a congressman who's all over China's efforts to dominate the U.S. and, in many ways, the world. It's not just rhetoric, it's real. But first, two lawyers who are among those who've been targeted professionally for their work with or support of Donald Trump. You may have heard the controversy recently in the news, and it's really hard to know what really happened because the media first reports one thing. In this case, I'm talking about NBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post. They're reporting one thing based on an anonymous source, and then once again, they have to come back and correct the information. And it's never quite clear who gave them the bad information or if anybody's going to be held accountable. But in this case, it had to do with reporting on Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, who got a visit from the FBI and had some of his material confiscated or subpoenaed. And also, attorney Victoria Tunsing had her cell phone subpoenaed by the FBI and also learned that her iCloud account had been secretly accessed by the FBI under Attorney General William Barr just a couple of years back, which Tunsing says is unconstitutional. And by the way, she said... She had unsegregated client material on the iCloud that the FBI would theoretically be searching through. She says that she's been told that she's the subject of an investigation looking into whether she failed to legally register as a foreign agent to represent a foreign entity or person in Ukraine. It's required under the law that people in the United States, and hundreds of people do this, People here acting as lobbyists or so-called agents for foreign governments or entities have to register so that it's fully disclosed, although nobody really looks at these records. But the idea is there is a registry where you can see what people, what former members of Congress, what high-powered people, what business people are working for which governments from Ukraine to China and Iran and Azerbaijan, you name it. It's significant to note in this discussion that failing to register properly as a foreign agent has almost never been prosecuted and punished as a crime. I did a story on this a couple of years ago with a project on government oversight that said usually if someone is caught failing to register and they did act as a foreign agent, they're typically allowed to just register in hindsight and pretty much things are forgotten. It's not considered that big of a deal until... This happened to Donald Trump associates. The book was thrown at them when they were involved in one of these cases or accused and found guilty of not properly registering. Democrats, however, have not always been treated the same. The case in point that I'm thinking of is involving Paul Manafort, who once worked on the Trump campaign. He and one of his Republican colleagues had the book thrown at them for one of these violations, but a Democrat colleague they had worked with on the same accounts, Tony Podesta, well, there were reports that he too was going to be arrested, but nothing ever happened, just sort of dropped out of the public discussion, and he has, as far as I know, never been charged with anything. In any event, Tunzing tells me that she has not represented a Ukrainian client. 
She considered it at one point, but that didn't come to fruition, and that she has not lobbied in several years. So she says this investigation, if that's what it's about by the FBI, is not well-founded. She also believes she continues to be targeted unfairly, as she says have many Trump associates and attorneys in today's managed media landscape, where people are censored and controversialized and banned. Well, anyway, I recently spoke with Tunzing and her husband, Joe DeGeneva, both former prosecutors, about the current attacks on conservative lawyers and the devolution of the media as we once knew it. Ms. Tunzing, first of all, just give me maybe three lines of the most notable things you've done. I know the Senate Intelligence Committee Chief Counsel, Department of Deputy Justice. Deputy Assistant Attorney. So give me a couple of those. Deputy Assistant Attorney General. But, uh, but some of the best are my whistleblower clients, Greg Hicks for Benghazi and Doug Campbell for Uranium One. Okay, and what about you? Some couple background highlights. Um, Special Counsel of the House of Representatives, Chief Counsel to the Senate Rules Committee, and former United States Attorney for the District of Columbia, and Independent Counsel of the United States. Um, before we get into some specifics, give me an overview of what you think about today's, I would say, information climate. <laughs> As you've been asked to comment on controversies or to weigh in on legal issues, and you see what's happened. We'll, again, we'll talk about specifics of that, but what's sort of an overview of where we are today in your mind? Well, we, we aren't anywhere unless you have a very few news outlets, and they're just like a handful of them. But the major news media does not let anybody of our ilk ever talk about the issues. They have silenced all of us. It's, it's a cancel culture on media. And what about you, Joe? What would you say? Uh, I would agree with that, and just to say that um, this is sort of the end of journalism and the end of free speech. Uh, I do not sense a desire on the part of the mainstream media, major newspapers, major television networks, to hear the other side of the story. Uh, it is a monolithic, one-theme culture, and if you're not part of that culture, you are canceled or you are ignored. Uh, or you're demeaned, or you're sanctioned, or you're censured, or whatever, and that's where we are. And it is, it is sad, r truly sad, to see the destruction of journalism as we once knew it. And also frightening. Yes, very much so. Would you describe where things stood for you before you noticed this? In other words, how you were referred to, how you were cons who you were consulted by, what was your professional life like before this culture that you're describing? For two decades, Joe and I were called, for example, by the Washington Post, oh, regularly, to comment on cases that we weren't associated with in any way whatsoever, just to give our legal opinions. But after Trump took office, and we were supporters of Trump, and the Washington Post was writing about very important legal issues like executive privilege, and the case of Michael Flynn, which I knew everything about, very good at that, they would never interview me or Joe or anybody from our side. And they were printing things that were just wrong legally, but it was at that point, anybody who supported Trump or, or came out speaking on behalf of Trump was not, was verboten. And Joe, what did you notice? It was the denial of reality, the denial that there was another thought, that there was another viewpoint. There's no doubt that these institutions, newspapers, networks, cable, knew that there was a legitimate other viewpoint, but they didn't want to put it out. 
because it went against their narrative. And so if you were intelligent, articulate, knew the subject, and happened to be conservative, you were done. It was the end of a discussion. So the first step is they silence you. They cut you out of giving an, an opinion. But then the, the more frightening step is where they censure you. So it's silence and then censure. So write about you then uh, in disparaging terms, mockingly, for example. Every time Joe and I were mentioned in various things that we were involved in, we were conspiracy theorists, you know, with the wires coming out of our heads. Um, and so they mock you or they write false things about you as the New York Times put on its front page that we were paid money to go get dirt on Joe Biden, which was absolutely false. Even though we told them, they put it out there. Here's an interesting story. A liberal journalist commentator on TV the other day said, well, you know, you know, Trump needs good legal representation, but Rudy Giuliani isn't the person to do it. He used to have a good reputation, but not so lately. Gee, I wonder why that is, because Rudy has been so adamantly supporting Trump. He is tireless. He doesn't give up. He's the best lawyer that the president could have had. But because they've worked on disparaging reputations, good reputations, then you're put into the legal junkyard. So what's happened to you, even recently, there, mm -hmm. have, there have been places that have continued to consult you and mm -hmm. ask for your opinion, even if it's a narrowing universe. Maybe con conservative. Conservative outlets. We're on Newsmax a lot. But didn't you say that even in mm -hmm. that universe, you found yourself being labeled an untouchable? In some cases, not in the cons no, but Fox TV. If we want to talk about Fox, because uh, they, you know, have this image, but they're losing it. Uh, for example, we were canceled from Fox because Lou Dobbs wanted us to talk about George Soros. He asked Joe to talk about. But George what about Soros. George Soros? What was the bottom line? Jo all Joe said was, George Soros controls parts of the State Department, which is absolutely accurate. And Joe, who's part Jewish, was called anti-Semitic, and we have not been on Fox since that since that day. I mean, wait, you were called anti-Semitic, right? And by by the Washington Post, uh, by yeah. one of their columnists, who may and, not have known you. And by part Jewish? Media Matters, no, it's you know it's Media Matters to that. But but here's what's interesting. Uh, the other about two months ago, I was asked to speak at an event uh, in, of a subcategory of the Heritage Foundation, and I agreed to do it. The person who introduced me, who was a conservative, was asked, said, I was going to figure out how to describe Joe to you, but I said, I'll just go to Wikipedia. She went to Wikipedia, and the first line was, Joseph DeGeneva is a lawyer and a conspiracy theorist. That's in Wikipedia. I've been practicing law since 1970. Uh, we're now in year number 51, practicing law, and that's a ludicrous minimalist biography, but that's the example of what people like Wikipedia do, and that's clearly designed to demean an individual, totally inconsistent uh, with my career and my background. Now, I don't care, but I do care for the rest of the world because where we are headed because of this is a monolithic society. One thought, one, one view of things, only one permissible view of anything. That is, to me, that's extremely scary. And, and this isn't directly First Amendment, but it is related to the First Amendment. There's been a terrible attack on lawyers who represent Trump. 
and uh, going after them, threatening them, uh, but threatening their law firms so that they lose their jobs at the law firm. Because well, I was going to ask a question about that because it hmm. seems like until now, most people have agreed even a an admitted <laughs> serial killer deserves to have or a, a, terrorist. a valid well, defense. But when it comes to Donald Trump, it seems like nobody wants him. Well, nobody wants him to have a lawyer. The, the and world. That's, this, this is the Lincoln Project has done this, and there are a bunch of lawyers, and they have asked that Joe and I be disbarred, and Rudy and Jenna uh, be disbarred because we represent Trump because we say false things on TV and then other things in court. But we've never appeared in court, so that's a problem. And they didn't specify any false statement, and yet a thousand lawyers signed this. How can you sign something like that? But here's where it's the media. Not one peep, not one peep from any newspaper or TV or any media company about the attack on lawyers. And, and here's, here's an even worse part of that. If you have a corrupt media and they're going to blast anybody who's associated with Trump, okay, this is politics. You're in there. You can fight back as long as you have some outlets. But not a word from the American Bar Association. Over the years, the ABA puts out all sorts of statements about do not condemn lawyers because they're representing people at Guantanamo Base who are terrorists. This is in the great tradition of American lawyers representing the most despised defendants because under our Constitution, even the worst person is entitled to a quality defense. That doesn't apply to lawyers who represent Donald Trump or support Donald Trump or come out and speak on his behalf, even if you're not representing him in court. This is the abdication of professional responsibility by the American Bar Association is so disturbing and really a, just it's, 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 it's an immoral thing for the ABA to do, to simply abandon lawyers who are representing somebody who's unpopular. Complicit. Where are, where's the media? How, how the silence? <laughs> Where do we go to get back our First Amendment? Because I'm asking that. The attorney duo of Victoria Tunsing and Joe DeGeneva. Back after a short break with an interview with Congressman Scott Perry, a Republican of Pennsylvania, about Chinese threats, including that country's drive to make genetic super soldiers. We are back now with an interview with Congressman Scott Perry on China and why sometimes it seems nobody's really doing much about some critical controversies. It's been reported that China has conducted tests on soldiers to develop soldiers with some kind of enhanced biological capabilities. What do you know about that? Well, so that's open source information and everything that we see and everything, and, and let me be clear, it's, it's because of the things that they are saying and doing that leads us to believe, because they're saying so, that they literally want to create super soldiers and almost like the superhuman race. And, and that should send chills down everyone's spine because there's a history of that kind of activity. The Third Reich tried to do exactly the same thing and pursue the same thing. The difference, Cheryl, is, is at this moment in time, the capability potentially literally exists. So they, they edited, for the first time in history, they edited the genes of an embryo, which was then born, a pair of twins, right? 
And and of course that they could be you could say well they're doing that for scientific purposes to enhance the health of of all human humankind which would be noble. Is that what they say they were doing? Well of course that's what they say they were doing. They say well we were looking to make sure that these two twins would never get AIDS and we wanted to see if we could do it. And of course that flies in the face of of all the moral doctrines, all the treaties that we have of, of human testing and so on and so forth. And so allegedly they arrested the scientist. Now, just keep in mind, this is the Communist Party of China. The scientist doesn't do this work without their permission, doesn't do this work without their funding. But allegedly, they arrested When word science. got out. Right. When word got out. And, and of course, we haven't seen any more about that. But all their rhetoric says that they're moving into this area and they consider it a new area of, of warfare. And, and, and the American people need to, and policymakers need to understand this doctrine of unrestricted warfare. Everything's on the table. So they literally have said that we as China shouldn't have to abide by treaties and all these international doctrines that prohibit this kind of thing. So we're talking about superhuman soldiers and something else that's very chilling, especially during this pandemic, where they would literally create ethnic ethno bio weapons. Right. So literally talking about clearing out everybody across the continent of the United States who's not of Chinese or Asian origin and the ability to do that. How do we know they're working on that? Because they say they are. Because they say they are. Is China collecting DNA yes. in mass quantities? Because I've read something about their effort. They have apparently a very large connection. What is that for and what is the concern? So it's exactly for what we just talked about, collecting every bit of DNA across uh, across the globe. So for instance, just for example, in I, I believe it's Morocco, they're, they're uh, providing the vaccinations for Morocco for, for the COVID virus, so the China virus is what it really should be called, but they're providing it. In return, Moroccans must give their DNA. And it's a one-way street. So not only do they do things like that, but they bought up the largest DNA banks in the United States of America. China owns them. What's also interesting is, is that there is no reciprocity. You cannot get the Chinese DNA strings. America can't get them. They sequester them. They, they prohibit the purchase and the use of them. So it's a one-way street where, street where they're banking all that information, but allowing none of it out, especially regarding their own population. There really is only one reason. What are the U.S. DNA genetic banks or DNA banks, and how were they allowed to purchase them? Well, there's no prohibition. So most of these banks are, uh, and I don't want to name certain companies. Talking about popular websites where people have their genes analyzed. Sure. And, and those are open for purchase because they're, you know, you freely gave your DNA as a condition of wanting to find out your ancestry or you gave it otherwise. And now it's, it's owned by them and, and they can sell that information and they have, they have done that and China has bought it. So there's no prohibition on that. Should there be? Is it within the United States' authority to stop sensitive sales of material to foreign governments? Well, certainly when you put it in those terms, sensitive information, sensitive material, sensitive equipment, certainly for national security, that is in the realm of possibilities for the United States. And unfortunately, we have not, we continue to not view China as an adversary. We, for 40 years, Cheryl, we've been told that China was a strategic adversary. Uh, you know, a competitor, a strategic competitor. They are not. The Communist Chinese Party, and it's important to delineate, to make the difference, the distinction between the Communist Chinese Party and the people of China. 
But understand, hundreds of thousands of members of the Communist Chinese Party, they are the enemy of the United States, so-called because they call us the enemy of them. So in that light, we must view things and do things accordingly. I've introduced legislation to, to label the Chinese Communist Party a transnational criminal organization. They steal our intellectual property. They violate treaties. They, they sell fentanyl through the border and through the U.S. mail right into our communities. These are the actions of, a, of, of, of criminal organizations, but yet we're reluctant to do the things that need to be done. Are there good diplomatic reasons why we don't want to be that tough on China? Is there fear that things could come back harder against us? Is that the argument? The argument seems to be that we're economically tied uh, too closely and you can't decouple uh, either at all or even a little bit. And quite honestly, that argument just uh, it just comports to greed, right? We're using literally the solar panels on your home or your neighbor's home are probably made by slave labor and slave child labor, either in China or uh, mining out the materials by slave children in Africa through China. I mean, these are the things that we have to come to terms with. The Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party has concept, what we would currently uh, configure or, or uh, describe as, co uh, as concentration camps. They, they, they perform uh, unauthorized organ harvesting. I mean, these are horrific things and we're doing business with them and we're saying that it's diplomatically difficult to decouple because there's too much money involved. Sure, that's just straight up greed. And, and our country is in peril, um, not only economically, but our country is in peril. China wants to rule the world and be the dominant force on the planet. And, and, and this unrestricted warfare, understand it goes from what you buy at the store to what's happening in outer space. I mean, they, they, they violate every single convention that's out there. We're not supposed to be, space is supposed to be kind of off limits for warfare activity, yet they, they, they destroyed a satellite in space to test their system. Our banking system, our, 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 our navigation systems, all kinds of things that we do are based on GPS timing from outer space. They start destroying that satellite array and we are disabled to communicate and navigate and, and, and transact business. Unrestricted warfare is who China is, and that's how we have to view them, and we should comport our policy in that regard, as opposed to just giving it lip service. You'll see, you'll see Christopher Wray talk about it. You'll, t you'll see the attorney general, the past attorney general, spoke about it. You'll see the president of the United States, by the way, whose cabinet is replete with individual members that have close connections to China, including his own family. Talk is one thing. It's time to do, because it, at some point, all the talking and all the doing won't matter. It, we won't be able to overcome it. You bring up an interesting question about when you say they're not following treaties and rules about warfare, and that's often sort of a knock against the United States in a way that we supposedly do, but our enemies aren't going to. Right. So how do we ever compete on equal ground? Well, quite honestly, Cheryl, that's, that's like the easiest thing to do, right? So whether uh, whether it's treaty compliance or whether it's just how you comport yourself with the things that are allowed, let's just have reciprocity with China. So China doesn't allow us to, 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 to conduct certain business transactions on their soil. Same thing should be appropriate in the United States. China doesn't allow us to send a whole bunch of students over there and, and just stay and spy on China. Same thing should be applicable in the United States. Reciprocity would go a long way to evening the playing field but it's us who's forcing, we're, we're not forcing them to comply. We don't even ask them to comply. 
And then I don't know if you know about this, but it, it struck me that President Trump had talked about TikTok, right. which is China owned, right. was to be sold. Yes. Whatever happened to that? So there was a deal that was made, um, and I think it was going to it was going to go through in which we or, or some Western powers would have control over the data and so on and so forth. Now I'm sure China didn't like that, but they just they kept on playing it out. And as far as I understand now, that deal is over, and TikTok is going to remain in the United States getting your facial recognition information to be used on a, a system of social credits that China uses in China that will then be instituted in the United States, not necessarily by the government, but by big corporations like the like the, the big big tech companies or airlines or whoever who says you can't fly unless you comply with this in this way. It doesn't have to necessarily be the government, but it can be pseudo things that are supported by the government that are so integral to society, it, it, it absolutely strips of, of our freedom and we're allowing it in TikTok being here. One final China-related question. We learned with uh, the coronavirus outbreak and an examination of the Wuhan Institute of Virology that the United States has all kinds of partnerships. Not only have we funded activity at the right. lab, we have helped train the scientists through our universities. We have partnered in research with them. Dr. Fauci has said he trusts the scientists in China, but other scientists have made it pretty clear that they think it's very inappropriate for us to think we have a trustworthy relationship on sensitive research with the communist Chinese. Yeah. What's your view? The communist Chinese are criminals. They're criminals who kill their population and have no compunction about doing whatever is necessary to meet their goals. Dr. Fauci, with all due respect, ought to stick to, uh, uh, to his medical practice and stay out of the, 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 the purview of public policy. Funding the Wuhan Institute by your tax dollars to have gain of function, that's using these viruses for military purposes. That's what gain of function is called. We have COVID-19, the Wuhan virus, the China virus, spread around the globe because of tax dollars going to this organization and this place in China. It should never have happened. It absolutely shouldn't happen now. I understand the Biden administration had reauthorized it, but had pulled it back under public pressure. We need to keep the pressure up. There's no reason. China's going to be a malign actor to the United States on their own. We certainly don't have to help them. That was Congressman Scott Perry. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will check out justthenews.com, consider subscribing to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast and my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. Again, check out all the Just the News podcasts wherever you like to listen. And if you haven't already, you might want to pick up my book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Read the reviews on Amazon and that might help convince you that there's information in Slanted that you'd like to have. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.